Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Worcester Culture Watch, a podcast connecting you with the local culture scene in Worcester. Arts, entertainment, music, and more. Worcester Culture Watch, from the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. Hello and welcome to another installment of Worcester Culture Watch. I'm your host, Victor Infante. I'm the entertainment editor for the Worcester Telegram and Gazette and the content editor for Worcester Magazine and the... I don't know what I am anymore. I'm having an identity crisis. I'm whatever, probably, the, whatever they want you to be. They probably think I'm something at the Lemonster Champion now. Uh, or you don't get to choose anymore. News. Anyways, yeah. I don't know anymore. I don't know who I am anymore. Um, I am here with somebody who does know who he is. Bill Shaner, Worcester Magazine reporter. How That's right. Doing? Yes, um, I'm doing great today. And we're going to talk about bars and drinking. That's my, one of my favorite subjects. Yep. Excellent, excellent. Because this has been a big week for bar news right some of the some of the biggest bar news uh uh it definitely in recent memory i mean with the the sort of surprise announcement that the dive bar will be closing in two weeks and that took everybody i guess it's been longer in the works than we thought it was well there were definitely rumors and uh i i know that the rumors were floating for a long time uh but they were only rumors as far as i knew Mm. And the staff didn't really get much of an idea either, from what I know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we actually had to hold the story a day because they hadn't told the staff yet. Right, right. So, Um, Which happens. (laughs) No, that that happens. That's a restaurant thing. Yeah, we had They're lucky they have a couple of weeks, honestly. Because sometimes uh, restaurants and bars, you'll get like, it'll be like that day. Yeah. Like, oh, we're closing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but it is one of those things where the dive bar wasn't just a bar. No, it it would definitely held an outsized sort of like I, I don't know outsized image or like importance in the city. It, it 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 was one of those hubs, I think, of a lot of different sec- segments of the city. Right, right. A lot of different people from a lot of different groups. It was their regular hangout. Now that can be true true of a lot of other bars too. You know, maybe Moynihan's or Nick's or something, but. But the dive bar was never actually my regular, so I can't really speak to that, though I've been there many times. No, I've been to the, the dive bar many times. And I think that in the story, the um, the chef from Mamaru, the, the mm-hmm. food trailer that's been out there for the past couple of years, uh, put, it, that put it – Yeah, it's so good. It's such an ambitious menu for for a food truck. You know, It's like really, really high-end stuff. Uh, but he has a quote, and I'm just going off the top of my head right now. I should have it in front of me. Uh, where he's, he was said that the, the dive was the kind of place that uh, was testament to the fact that good food and good beer can bring people together like from across the spectrum. So he, he had in a really good line about it being like punks to suits, uh, <laughs> which I thought is a pretty perfect way to describe dive bar. Yeah, no, that was that really was, and it was it was it 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 always had a great vibe there, and they had, of course they had a fantastic beer selection, which fantastic helped. beer selection they were like known throughout the land for that 
Uh, that for like a, I'm not a very big craft beer guy, but for people who are really into that stuff, the dive bar was definitely held uh, in in high esteem. Definitely, definitely, yeah. and of course, that's the second business at that end of Green Street, which has right basic is basically closing, not due to bus- regular normal business factors, but because of the changing business environment and right that owners wanting the- to make changes that are being spurred by the right incoming ballpark which raises a whole host of questions to my mind about you know what kind of economic development do we need what actually benefits the city should it always should our questions always be you know uh uh, economic development for its own sake, or should we interrogate that concept more? I've unfortunately, I think that uh, in the political discussion in Western, those questions don't really happen. I don't think they do, except that maybe now, when and when people lose something they actually care about, it actually right. d- that's when the questions start getting asked. And they were asked for a bit after the Lucky Dog, or I keep calling. I'm always going to call it the Lucky Dog. It's the Cove musical. <laughs> the Cove, yeah. The Cove, when the Cove went under, you know, that was not because of a business decision on Ted Kistner's part. That's because the owner wanted to sell the building. Right. Um, as reported in the Telegram and Gazette. Um, I'm right. not just pulling that out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, the, um, and the, this is similar where the owners want to reuse, you know, have a different purpose, want to reuse the building yeah, space it, for a different purpose. It seems like at least the plan right now is to open another small business. Yes. Uh, and I've heard rumors that it's going to be a restaurant, but not not confirmed. I couldn't actually reach the guy um, to to talk to him about his plans for the building, but he told the the dive owners that it's for a business to coincide with the opening of Polar Park. Right. And, you know, I think the other interesting tidbit with that that's from that end of the street um, is a bar I, I, I'll admit I have not actually gone to, the Union Tavern, is that what it's called? Union Tavern, yeah, that's what it is what it's called. It's almost like a club. Yeah, yeah. well, now they're they're looking at starting to serve food down the road. It's oh, expanding okay. into being a restaurant. Oh, interesting. All right. Like I said, it's not a it's not a bar I've actually gone to, so yeah. I don't know. But I thought I found that the timing of that interesting too. Where right. you know there is a sense for good, bad, and different that that sort something as big as a ballpark development, some uh, a, a development plan as big as this is going to have repercussions. Right. And nobody can plan for any everything. Yeah. So I think it's going to be interesting to look out in the next couple of years, and not even so. The, the next couple of years uh, during the construction phase are going to be different than the implementation phase, like the five years after it, where for the past I would say what ten fifteen years. Green, Harding, Milbury Street have really been building up into like the closest thing the city has to like a restaurant row, nightlife sector type of thing. Yeah. Um, You know, people want to say Shrewsbury Street. I mean, Shrewsbury Street is like, uh, there's like 10 nice to middling restaurants. It's not really like a nightlife. No, um, it's a dining. Yeah. Right. You go to eat, you don't go to hang out. But Harding, Milbury. Except for maybe Padovano's place, and Padovano's (laughs) place is changing hands now. Oh, right. So Big Milbury, restaurant news. <laughs> yeah, right. Milbury Harding, Green Street had the the I don't want to say had, have the potential for really like dense, like sort of nightlife, uh like an attractive like destination downtown type of thing. Mm-hmm. And it remains to be seen whether this uh sports stadium, which is mostly a drive 
and park and leave in three hours type of uh, attraction is going to help or hurt that sort of blossoming nightlife scene. Uh, so that's, I think, is a big thing to pay attention to because it's like, well, what are you trading? We want Worcester to be a real city. We want to there for there to be a real urban experience in Worcester. And uh, they, they, the city council does use, well, at least the city manager's office does use the phrase 18-hour day a lot. Right, right. And we had that, yeah, any not... <laughs> I, I don't really like the 18-hour date phrase, but I don't even have to get into that. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. But so so uh, what I like to think about or the, the way that I like to think about this is that like uh, like big multi-block mega projects don't naturally foster density. Mm. And density is the kind of thing that naturally fosters like uh like thriving city like a city feel so like the the downtown especially has just been basically hollowed out in terms of density by one silver bullet mega project after the other dcu center um mid city st v's now yep. uh, the galleria and now the galleria is basically like a, a mega block for apartments which is a little bit different uh and everyone's complaining, like, oh, why is there no density downtown? It's like, oh, well, we just ripped down, like, every single apartment building down there to, to build these big mega things. Uh, and the Canal District, that hadn't happened. That hadn't happened yet. The city didn't meddle with it like that. The city didn't do the sort of um, – I hate to use this word. No, I'm, I'm not even going to use the word. They didn't do the sort of things that city governments do since the 80s uh, that are – and they just sort of left it alone. And when you leave it alone, it does better than when you meddle with it. Yeah. In terms of like trying to foster development. Um, so I am really curious to see how that blossoming little nightlife sector is going to survive. I, I don't, I'm not necessarily optimistic. Mm. I but don't there, think there's, there's a lot of reason to be optimistic besides the, I mean, I get if you're a baseball fan. Well, if you know, and I was thinking about this, you know, because the last time I was down at uh, down at on Lansdowne Street at the House of Blues in uh -huh. Boston, right, and looking at the backside of the ballpark there, that is a really bustling area for nightlife down where that is. Yeah, right. And it is not necessarily all a lot of places I would want to go. Right. Um, it is, you know, some of my favorite clubs in town are in that area in. You know the Canal District. You know Nick's and um, the Electric Haze Hotel Vernon. Right, but, but so that area. I don't is, know if those are. If that's going to force a change. Yeah, I, I I find the comparison hard because that area is bolstered by insane population density mm. for colleges, and uh, like just the sort of population density we won't have in Worcester for like hundreds of years. You know, uh, so. And no one, no one really drives in parks at Fenway. That's uh, true. But people are going to expect to drive and park right next to Polar Park for cheap or too cheap to free, and then leave. And yeah, so I don't know. It's gonna. It's, it remains to be seen. I think whether or not this has any spinoff economic improvement for the for the neighborhood. Hmm. It's probably all going to go some direction nobody's actually seen. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's something to watch out for, at least. But on the uh, 
good on the good front, though. Yes, Ralph's is so far away from Polar Park. <laughs> it really is, and that driveway <laughs> is never going to get any better. Yes, right. <laughs> that driveway, the the parking lot is like a a gentrification uh, like uh, minefield. Oh, it really, really is. <laughs> we have a wonderful story by Craig Seaman um, in today's Worcester Magazine. You can read it today also on Telegram dot com. Um, we can actually read a slightly longer version of it because we had to cut some out for space because we had a lot of ads this week. Um, but, but yeah, so 40 Ralph's has been there for 40 years. Mm -hmm. And like we were saying 40 years ago in Worcester, Ralph's opened the clash played whole played Clark university and the who played Holy cross. This was a great year for rock and roll in Worcester. Right, right. Uh, what was that? 1979. Yeah. I mean, 1979 was a great year for rock and roll in general. Indeed. And it's, I'm glad Worcester got a piece. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's cool that that little piece in Ralph's is, uh, is still here today. And it's still, uh, you could argue, is the most rock and roll uh, bar in town uh, By or far. in the area or in the state. Or in New England. <laughs> yeah, really. I Just mean, in terms of juju and charisma. and I can't really speak too far outside of the Worcester area. I'm yeah. sure there's some great... I know there are some great rock and roll bars in Boston, but... Uh, 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 Worcester, uh, Ralph's really does, is one of my favorites, and it yeah. will always be. And I think... It just feels so dang authentic still. Right, right. It's like it, it's the ultimate testament to not touching it and it'll be fine because that literally I don't I think there's some stuff in there that literally has not had a human hand on it <laughs> since 1979. Yeah. Uh, like all the all the decorations in there it just seems like people just pull in garbage and just throw them up in the rafters and on the walls and there, stuff. It's there, so cool. There are, I was listening, you know, there were times I was in this, to see um, my friend um, G. Murray Thomas, mm -hmm. poet from, I knew him in California, now he lives in New York, um, came out to do a set at Ralph's. And I was sitting there, and I was sitting at a seat I don't normally sit at downstairs, and I'm like, Hey, there's a mannequin with blue jeans on up above me. Yeah. I never <laughs> noticed yeah. that before. I've been going to Ralph's for. Yeah. You know, ever ever since I moved here. Yeah, Ralph's like Nick's and Vincent's. Also, I mean, all owned by the all owned same. by Vincent Heminer. <laughs> yeah, he has he has very good jukebox ethics. But all three of those places have amazing old school style jukeboxes. With they really uh, do with really really good music on it, and I think that that helps the atmosphere so much because uh, it's like music that. Would make sense if it was on a playlist in the place, mm -hmm. but also you can pick it, and so like like crowd favorites emerge if you hang out there a lot. And stuff oh yeah, like that. so it's it's cool, uh, and I think that uh, I, certainly when I moved to Worcester, I'd already been going to to Ralph's and uh, other places like that for a while, and it's definitely like like I was like, oh, Worcester is okay, and then I went to Ralph's for the first time, and I was like, oh wait. I don't know. Worcester might be a little bit better than I think it is. It's, yeah, no, it is one of those places. And I, when I first moved here, it was one of those places I think my wife uses an example of, right. of the, you know, it's a, you know, Worcester's, it's like, it's a nice, great town to live in, but I wouldn't want to visit it. If you live here, you know <laughs> where everything a, is. That's a good, that is a really good way to put it. Yeah. Because Worcester has a lot of cool stuff going on, but it's very diffuse. You have to know where to look. They're in little nooks and crannies all over all over the city. Uh, so that is a that's cool. And I, I think that um the the person 
that I first quoted in the dive bar story who would not let me use her name. And it was such a good quote that I had to go with it anyway. Uh, just like um, said that Worcester is like the dive is classically Worcester because it needs a fresh coat of paint. But if you look past that, you realize it's a gem. Exactly. And that the, like the dive, Ralph's, Nick's, Vincent's, uh, uh, Moyna's. There's so many places in Worcester that are like that. Mm-hmm. Where you're like at first glance, you're like, "Whoa, this is sketchy." But then you go inside and you're like, "Oh my god, I'm home. <laughs> this is great." And then there's the Hotel Vernon where you think both those things at the same time. Oh yeah, right, right. <laughs> this is sketchy. Yeah, I'm home. <laughs> Yeah, Hotel Vernon is like, wow, this place is so cool as I put my wallet in my front pocket. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. No, I do love that. But I mean, that, that's the thing, though. I love these bars. Yeah. You know, I remember the first time I went to Electric Haze, which was probably yeah. the newest bar that we're talking about in this. I would say so. I would say it's the newest bar that has like a, a feeling to it or like yeah. a vibe or a scene. Yeah. At least there are, there are newer bars but not ones that sort of have their own identity yeah not really at the moment yeah. so far you know moonshiner seems to be having its own its own thing going on there i, still have to go there I haven't been there yet i gotta ride the bull yeah I, I i was so happy that we got to put the mechanical bull on the cover of womack yeah I, really, right. I know it's corny of me but i really wanted that bull on the yeah cover. and that I one has it. that one has potential but but yeah um, and it does seem to be developing its own scene and but that scene's built around country music which right. is not my normal thing really you right know. right you know the, kind of the old school stuff i like though i like some of the musicians that play there so go yeah go figure <laughs> but um yeah there's this sense you know if you ask people what a Worcester bar is they're going to point to ralph's they're going to point to the dive bar right right they're kind of maybe Moynihan's or something like that but yeah, yeah i like yeah i like Moynihan's. i, <laughs> I haven't yeah. been there in a while no, for sure. Like Worcester is like, I feel like the the Ralphs is perfect because Worcester's like main things that are unique to it. I think are diner car, mm-hmm. uh, diner car diners, and dive bars. Right. And Ralphs is both of those because it's a dive bar inside a diner car diner. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you, yeah, and you cannot order anything. There's chili and there's hot dogs and there's burgers and yeah. that's it. And that's. They they have vegetarian op- options. Oh, they have a veggie burger. Now. Veggie yeah. burger now. Right, right. But uh, I think there's vegetarian chili now. Nope, nope. Is that was that was that maybe that? maybe every once in a while it, I could have swore I saw. It's something. a pretty uh, lousy menu. It's basically just whatever they want to yeah. put on there. You know, it's not like consistent like that. <laughs> no, I was I was in there once and somebody was making shish kebab on the on the grill and I was oh like, really? I think it was just for the bartender making their dinner. <laughs> right, right. But it, everybody was hypnotized by seeing something that new. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I don't I don't know. I don't think that they. Uh, they don't want to mess too much with the food menu. No, but yeah, no, Craig's got a wonderful rundown of the history of Ralph's in the paper today. And it's um, one of those things, I was really impressed with the range of people he managed to get to open up about it. Mm-hmm. About it. Everybody from, you know, local gadflies and, and regulars there, including Deb Beaudry, who's, you know, wonderful person and who's been a regular there for the whole time i think <laughs> and um yeah nobody knows that place better than her she is the queen of rouse and um you know musicians from around the area like members of eddie japan and henry rollins 
he has he he gets Henry Rollins. And I've I've interviewed Henry before for stories, right? And, you know, and he's he's great. I think I actually might have given Greg this email, but it's just so weird looking in Worcester Magazine and seeing Henry Rollins being quoted about Rouse. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's a good get. Yeah, Very yeah. Good get. So it was that was fun. It was it, it's good. It's a good read. It's a good history, and it's it's nice to remind people why these places are important to right. the local culture. Yeah, the, if Worcester Magazine has a job. It is defining what is important to Worcester culture, and that Ralph's, Ralph's needs the love, yep. for sure. And occasionally making smart aleck comments about politicians. But Yeah, right, right. We, we do that, too. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, think the, I think those are, those are basically our main goals. <laughs> yeah, no, right. no. So, yeah, quite a bit going on. We've, this is, it's a really good issue of Worcester Magazine this week. I, I know I see that every week. But we've, you know, we've got an interview with um, the lead singer of the band Ghost, who's playing the DCU Center. Mm -hmm. We've got a beautiful story, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, um, about an exhibit at the Worcester Pop-Up that's coming up by Richard Duckett. Um, we've got just a lot going on here. You've got to pick it up. We've got to pick it up. All right. I think that wraps up another first segment. We're going to be back in a minute, but first... We're going to listen to something new from the Marshall Pla Pass. When the night is calm and the moon is still Blood riders coming up the hill They got the numbers, Lord knows they got the will Riders by the Marshall Pass. I have banished the 
bar, all that bar talk out of the office here, out of the very small studio. And I, we are now joined by Mr. Richard Duckett. How are you today, Richard? Hi, Victor. I'm fine. And we're going to go from bars to art, <laughs> which is, I think, a natural transition, really. Yes, well, there are a couple of uh, interesting uh, exhibitions um, coming up or going on um, at the Worcester Pop-Up. We have um, the unveiling of I Am More Massachusetts, mm. which uh, a very interesting project uh, developed by Amy Kerr, who's a, who's a Gloucester artist. And the idea is that um, people um, uh, are more than how they can be defined sometimes, um, especially we define people or people define themselves by their mental, physical, or social challenges. Indeed. And the exhibition um, includes a portrait of 20 different people with 20 different um, situations, some of them based from struggles. Um, but the portraits themselves are warm and inviting, and accompanying the portraits, um, people talk about how they are more than mm. just one particular um, sliver that we may know about them and uh, whole human beings. Um, it's a very interesting idea. Amy Kerr developed the idea after herself going through a period of depression and then saying, hey, you know, I'm more than this and writing a blog on, on that theme. And she was surprised by the reaction that she got from people who were willing to share uh, information about themselves and details that she never knew about, even friends. And so um, being an artist, she thought about, mm, well, why not... Uh, why not uh, get them to sort of pose for portraits? Um, and um, on the I Am More theme, the first subject she approached told her, um, there is not more at the moment for me. Um, but then he came back later and said, well, if it'll help somebody, I'll do it. And, and he did. And, um, and that's how the things began to steamroll. Um, so she did it first among a circle of friends in Gloucester, and then the exhibition was um, shown at various local places in and around the Cape Ann area, and it got great feedback. Um, so um, she decided then to um, expand on it and have a statewide project called I Am More Massachusetts. And that's what's going to be... Uh, as I said, unveiling for the first time at the Worcester Pop-Up. There'll be uh, an opening reception um, on Saturday from uh, 5 to 8 o'clock, uh, and then it'll run at the Worcester Pop-Up until November 7th. Definitely. And this, of course, is the story on today's um, cover of Worcester Magazine. Yes. And it's a the, the the portrait that we have on the cover is just stunningly gorgeous, stunningly gorgeous. And I was struck so much by the the almost photorealism of some of these some of these some of these portraits that she's painted. There's a couple I had to remind myself that they were portraits. They're just so so stunning and so sharp. Well, the the way so, the, the way it worked was that. Um, um, 
she couldn't really um, approach people, you know, strangers. Yeah. Uh, so um, she put word out through various uh, nonprofit organizations and treatment centers that if anybody would be interested in uh, taking part in this sort of project to contact her. And so um, for the people that did contact her, um, they arranged to meet in, quote, unquote, a safe place initially mm-hmm. where they discussed what was going to happen. And then um, the uh, subject would um, choose uh, a favorite place where they would meet and she would take their photograph, okay? Um, ah. On one occasion, she took a photograph of somebody in the ocean you know, in a yeah. wa- with a waterproof camera. And then the idea was that um, Anne, the artist, would go home and paint a portrait based on the photograph at the same time that the subject would write an essay about themselves and uh, why I am more. So that was the way way it worked. Um, The subjects have never seen their portraits in person. They've seen them online. So uh, Saturday's reception at the Worcester pop-up, which I think a lot of the subjects will be at, will be the first time that they've seen the um, portraits Oh, that's going to be exciting. That's probably going to be an emotional experience. I would imagine. Right, right. Um, but um, Anchor is keeping... Um, the people anonymous to the extent, you know, that it's just using their first names. And if um, if a subject wants to sort of go further and talk publicly, that's up to them. Definitely, definitely. It's funny, I was, when I was reading your story, I was reminded a bit of the No Evil Project here in Worcester. Have you seen that? With yes. the exhibitions? Right. You know, I did one, I actually did one of those photo shoots myself on that. And it was interesting because when you, and that was sort of about owning different parts of your personality that, uh, you know, everybody, for me, it was like, you know, poet, geek, depressive. And that became one that I actually, that was hard for me to own. Like, even though I talked rather publicly about that. So that was, a, this is a really interesting, this, I, this one, this one really made me think a lot, <laughs> this story. Yeah, it apparently has struck a nerve with a lot of people um, yeah. from its initial success now at the Worcester pop-up, and then from Worcester, I think it's touring Massachusetts next year. It'll be in different places um, um, during the course of 2020. Definitely. I think that's a really, that's a really exciting, and gl- really glad that it's come here. Now, you've got, you're working on another big art story, as I recall. Well, on Sunday, this coming Sunday's uh, act, mm-hmm. uh, I have a story about... Uh, um, an exhibition that's going on at the Cantor Art Gallery at the College of the Holy Cross. And the title of it is Dharma and Punya, Buddhist Ritual Art of Nepal. <laughs> it might seem a little bit different than uh, I Am More, but I mean, uh, we can always find some common links if, I we, think if, we, so. if we try. And um, again, this has to do with um, knocking down some misconceptions. Um, People can get misconceptions about being defined by something, um, which is what I Am More is all about. And I think uh, this part of the um, Buddhist uh, art exhibition at Holy Cross is to dispel some notions that people might have about Buddhism as a religion. Um, Dr. Well, Professor Todd Lewis at Holy Cross um, is one of the curators of Mm -hmm. the exhibition. He's a professor in the Religious Studies Department. And uh, when I interviewed him, he noted that um, a lot of people maybe in the West think of Buddhism as um, a religion that's 
practiced ascetically, um, people meditating in elite temples or or some sort of notion of people meditating in caves and that sort of thing. And uh, whereas this exhibition shows that um, Buddhism, in, in, in certainly in the culture of uh, Nepal, uh, is is a religion that has daily family practice ritual. It's a part of an individual's <laughs> or family's everyday life. Uh, you know, there are there are rituals and traditions that go on throughout the year. There are anniversaries that are, that are honored and celebrated, and uh, uh, it's as much part of a religious person's life as uh, Western religions are here. Uh, so, they, and uh, Nepal. Um, has a particularly interesting uh, history. It's uh, um, and the form of Buddhism that developed in the Kathmandu Valley mm-hmm. uh, of Nepal uh, centuries ago is called the Nuwa Buddhism. Um, uh, highly ri- ritualistic, um, and it has a, has a very strong artistic tradition. So the exhibition, um, you'll see um, ancient watercolor paintings, um, manuscripts on on wood or palm that um, are very intricate and detailed. One of them has uh, never been seen in the West before. Depicts the creation of the Kathmandu Valley, and uh, and each text has 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 a sort of religious. Uh, significance. Um, the, the exhibition has forty-five uh, objects altogether. Um, they they range from like a priest's crown mm. used used to ritualistic ceremonies to things like oil lamps, which also had a part have a part of a family's uh, a daily ritual. Um, some of these go back centuries, eight hundred years. Uh, some of them are more recent, and. Um, to complement the historical nature of the exhibition, there are up-to-date um, features of the exhibition which um, you, you can um, touch and feel. You, there's an interactive uh, panel so that um, you can pick a, a panel from one of the texts and it'll explain what, uh, what, that, what that panel is uh, depicting. Oh. Uh, there are videos. I think there's a live hookup um, with a temple in Kathmandu. Oh, so uh, it's live streaming uh, what's happening there. Um, yeah, to some, yeah. I mean, oh, that's I, amazing. There, there's a capability of, of um, I don't know if it's been done yet. You know, of, of, of a simultaneous um, broadcast. You know, from the exhibition to Kathmandu and back. Um, wow. There's um, in Nepal, um, Hinduism is is the is the main religion, but Buddhism, you know, has, has maintained that it's presence. Uh, there are lots of temples apparently in Kathmandu. There's a TV station in Kathmandu that wants to come out to Holy Cross and uh, do a broadcast. Um, wow. Uh, but uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, totally uh, fascinating. Um, um, the, the items such as the shield are really quite, such as the um, priest's helmet, I should say, are really quite striking to behold, and the manuscripts are really quite magnificent um, to look at. Uh, the, one of them is, um, is is 19 feet long, I think, and uh, 3 feet wide. It's, it's, it's huge, and um, the attention and detail that goes into it um, uh, is, is astonishing. And uh, as I mentioned, um, this particular manuscript, although it's 
in the possession of the of uh, art museum in Virginia. It's never been seen actually publicly in the West before. Uh, wow. I think that's true of several of the objects. I don't think anything has been collected together quite like this in this particular way. Well, that sounds like an amazing, amazing thing to behold. And I haven't been up there yet. You have. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, I was, I'm amazed at the ability sometimes of an exhibition like this to cast something that people think they know in such an incredibly new light. That 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 strikes me as an incredibly powerful experience, and I I know I use that exact adjective with the I am more, but I mean we're really seeing a lot of the capabilities of what an art ex- exhibition can do of its power. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was four years in the planning, apparently. <laughs> uh, you know, it uh, has objects, you know, from different public institutions, but also private collections. Um, so. Um, uh, yeah, nothing, nothing quite like this has been put together before. Well, I think that sounds like an amazing exhibit, and I hope people get up to the Cantor Gallery to see it. It's free, and well, it's free. Both of them are free. Actually. We should really take advantage. People really need to take advantage of their the the ability to see free art, art for free, free in this city because it's really you have a lot of opportunities. Yeah, well, two very different but very, very, very interesting experiences there, right? Uh, right at your doorstep. Definitely, and if you know, if you want something even a little, there's also if if those aren't your cup of tea, there's also things going on at the Arts Worcester and the Sprinkler Factory almost constantly, and well, those are course. both free too. So well, of course, uh, yeah, and of course, there's a lot going on at the Worcester Art Museum. Museum. So you know, this is maybe this is. Is this a good time for visual art in Worcester? I, I, I've not really put that together in my head so much, but it really feels like we're at the beginning of something here or at, in the middle of something. Yeah, there, yeah, there have been a number of uh, very, very compelling exhibitions recently. Um, definitely. Well, definitely. And, that's so we, and we will continue to explore those. Is there anything else that we would want to share or discuss while we're here? Well, that's it for now. Plenty of interesting stories coming up, so stay tuned. Excellent. We'll look forward to them. All right. You have been listening to another Worcester Culture Watch. Um, We'll be back next week. As always, our theme music was composed by DJ Manipulator. Thank you and good night. going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.